So we're in a series about living a meaningful life. I don't know about you, but I want to I feel like I have meaning to my days. Every day I, I wake up, I want to I have meaning to this day. I want to do things that matter. I want to go places that matter. I want to touch people's lives that matter. And so we're talking about living a meaningful life. And, in, and our topic today is comparing yourself with Christ. To have meaning in my life, I need to look for the right ideal for me to follow. If I were to begin this sermon by asking, who do you compare yourself with? Who do you look at and say, oh man, I wish I could be like that? I guess the question would be, would you be able to be honest with that? That you compare yourself with maybe the lady down the street, or the guy down the road, or that movie star? You know, it's hard to not watch a movie and want to be one of those people, isn't it? That's why the movies are so popular. Who wouldn't want to be Elvis? There's a new movie about Elvis out. Who wouldn't want to have that guy's life except for the end of it, right? Who wouldn't want to be Maverick? One of the best movies in the last 30 years, right? What woman wouldn't want to be a beautiful princess? Well, except for Emma Grace, when she was growing up, my, my youngest daughter, when she was growing up, if I said, good night, princess, I'd get a very stern look <laughs> because she wasn't settling for princess. She was waiting for me to say, good night, empress. <laughs> and she's quite right, isn't she? <laughs> but what woman wouldn't want to be the prettiest one at the ball, Right. You ever seen, um, does anybody know what I mean when I say, have you seen Mrs. Bucket? It's a British comedy, bouquet. <laughs> yeah, what is it? Keeping Up Appearances, I think, is the TV show. Mrs. Bouquet, don't call me Bucket. And she's constantly comparing herself with people, it's hilarious. You know, hardwired in us is the ability, something really interesting, the ability to appreciate the ideal, to shoot for the best, to look and see the best and recognize the best when the best is in front of us. And as humans, we have this unique ability to look at other humans and emulate them. We're able to mimic them. We're able to look at others and say, okay, I want this in my life, and so I'm going to mimic them. I'm going to do that. And it's, it's unique to humankind. The problem we face in our lives is when we choose the wrong things or the wrong people to emulate. When we choose the wrong people to replicate in our lives. When we look at someone that isn't the ideal and we imitate them. When we look at somebody and copy them that they're not doing life right they're dealing with their problems in life in a way that's not right or or they're you know they're they're not doing well in their lives they they're using substances or different things to try to cope with the things in their lives that they're struggling with and then we emulate them that's a problem isn't it or when we duplicate the dysfunction that we saw in our home growing up and the marriage that our parents had and, and we Im we imitate them and we deal with the same problems that they dealt with the same way it's a problem isn't it and here's what's interesting. The world believes that they can change the ideals that we should shoot for. That instead of shooting for this ideal, that we can shoot for something else. That it's just we can just be taught what the ideal should be. 
That's what the world believes, that they can tell us what the ideal is, that the world, the world believes that if they celebrate certain things, if they put someone unhealthy on the front of a magazine, that the rest of the world will go, oh, well, hey, that's what healthy looks like. Okay. And we change that ideal instead of understanding what healthy really looks like. The world believes that they can teach us what the ideal is and that we should emulate that. We should be a part of that. And then what happens? When that person that they stuck on the magazine dies, they come out with a documentary. Oh, the story you never knew about this person, right? So here's the truth. The only one you and I should be comparing ourselves to is Jesus. Oh, wait a second, John. That's, that's heavy. I can't even begin to compare myself to him. He's too big. He's too awesome. He's too amazing. He's perfect. He never sinned. How could I begin to compare myself to him? Well, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So is he saying, compare yourself to me? No, he's saying, compare yourself to Christ the same way that I'm comparing myself to Christ. Imitate Christ the same way I'm imitating Christ. Do what I'm doing. So comparing our lives to anyone other than Christ, it causes us a lot of pain. It causes us a lot of strife and unnecessary problems in our lives. And the Bible is full of stories about people that it compared themselves to the wrong people, and it was just always devastating. The very first murder that ever took place on planet Earth was because of comparison. Because Cain didn't want to step it up, and he, and he was comparing himself to the wrong person in the world. What happened? It, the time came for them to present something to the Lord as, an, as a thank offering to God. And, and it, this, this time came for them to do that. And Abel, his brother, brought what God said was a better sacrifice. It wasn't that it was something that God liked more than what, what Cain brought. It was the fact that Abel brought his heart to the table. And Cain didn't bring his heart to the table. So God said, hey, Abel's offering is better than what you brought because he had heart in it. He loves me. He cares about me. And, and what happened? Well, he thought, well, my brother's the problem. My brother set the standard. My brother set that bar way too high. And so what did he do? Instead of fixing it and bringing himself up to that bar, he just decided that he would kill his brother. What was he doing? He was comparing himself to his brother instead of comparing himself to God's ideal and what God said he could do and what God said he expected. His brother wasn't the ideal. God was. God is. The ideal is God's way. There's another uh, story in the Old Testament. There's a couple of sisters that were always comparing themselves with each other. One was beautiful. She had a husband that absolutely adored her and loved her, but she couldn't have any children. And so she was always looking at her sister, Leah. Leah was somebody that was ugly. She didn't have a husband that adored her like Rachel had. And she was frustrated and angry, but she was so fertile. She was like a bunny rabbit. She was putting kids out left and right. She could have kid after kid after kid. But here's Rachel, this beautiful, loved woman that couldn't even have a baby. But her sister could. And so Leah just putting all these kids out one after another. And Rachel always looked at her sister and compared herself. You know, years later, God finally, see, God had a plan for Rachel. God had a plan for Rachel's children, specifically Jacob. 
specifically her child, I'm sorry, Jacob was her husband, <laughs> specifically one of her children would be the, the lineage of Christ. And that child was to come at just the right time. God had a plan for her. And that's why she didn't have children for so long. But when she did have a child, instead of appreciating it, instead of enjoying it, as soon as that child came out, she said, I need to have another one because i got to catch up to Leah. She was constantly comparing herself to her sister, but so was her sister. And You know, they had conflict all of their lives because of that. Jesus told a story about two brothers as well. They were, they were sons of a wealthy man. One of the sons cashed out and said, Dad, I want all my money. Dad gave him all the money. He took it and he squandered it off in a, a different country. Eventually, he came to his senses and realized, oh man, even my father, my father would put me, in, put me to work and I could go and be of service to him and I would have it better than, than I've got it right now. Right now, I'm just feeding pigs and eating with them. This is a horrible situation. Well, the brother that stayed home, he was out in the fields working one day and the brother the brother was out in the fields working one day, and he looked, and he, he heard that his brother had come home. And what happened? His, his brother had come home, and the father was like, this is wonderful. The father was celebrating him. The father was doing great. Just He was like, man, this is awesome. My son that I've lost has come home. And the son that was at home all this time, he's out in the field, and he's listening. He's like, oh, man. Why is dad doing this? He was comparing himself. My father's never killed the fattened calf for me. Why is he doing this for this brother that squandered all of his money? I don't understand. And so there was problems. There was problems. The son that stayed home was just as lost as the one that had walked out, walked out a while back, right? You see, comparing ourselves to anyone but Jesus always causes problems in our lives. One, we can feel less important than we really are. You're very important. But when you compare yourself with somebody else, you could feel less important, couldn't you? False humility will creep in and tell you, you don't matter. You don't matter. Nobody will miss you if you don't come today. Nobody needs what you have to offer. Oh, my gifts and my talents, they're not as good as somebody else's. So we, we, we have a problem with feeling like we're less than. And it's false humility. Less important. And you know, no matter how old you are, no matter what your situation is, you've always got a plan. You've always got a purpose in this life from Him. You've got to tap into that. I was talking to a guy just recently. He's, he's in his 60s. The guy's reinventing his life again. He's had a successful career. But now he's going back to school at UTD. He's been there for a year and he's working on his PhD. He's working on a project that will affect every city across this nation. And he's in his 60s. Now, if he was looking around and comparing himself with everybody around him that's starting to get ready for retirement and just going to sit down and not do anything with their lives... Well, that would be a problem, right? But this guy's going after it. He's, he's, instead of just sitting down and, and spending the rest of his life watching the news or something, he's going to do something with his life, and that's huge. So there's a problem when we start looking at the people around us and we start comparing ourselves. We end up forgetting how important we are. And there's a second problem. 
When we start comparing ourselves with others, it's easy for us to look around and go, well, I'm more important than I think, than they think I am. I'm, I'm more important than I really am, and that's a problem. When you compare yourself with Jesus, you have an understanding of how important you are, but you also have an understanding that your importance is wrapped up in being a mere servant in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this, help carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will follow Christ's teachings. So if any one of you thinks you're important when you're really not, you're only fooling yourself. Each of you must examine your own actions. Then you can be proud of your own accomplishments without comparing yourself to others. And I love this. Assume your own responsibility. You see, responsibility is what gives your life meaning. Doing something with your life, especially when you've connected it with Christ. And you've said, all right, this is the standard. This is what God wants for my life. This is who God created me to be. Embrace the responsibility of putting your life together. Embrace the responsibility of putting your family together. Embrace the responsibility of putting your church together. Doing what God has put you on this earth to do. Created you to do. But it always includes comparing yourself with Him and what He wants to accomplish in your life. Not compared to me, not compared to anybody else in the church, not compared to anybody else in the body of Christ, but to Christ. You see, the guy who thinks he's more important than he is ends up being a fool. You think you're, you've got a big bank account? Compare yours with Christ. You think you've got a great IQ? Compare it with Christ. You think you've got the most beautiful, beautiful face or beautiful body or whatever? Compare it to God. And when you compare yourself to God, it's a whole different deal. Either I'm going to think, if you compare yourself with somebody else, either you're going to think you're not important enough or you're going to think you're too important. But you compare yourself with Christ and get it right. Humble yourself. Present yourself to Him as a living sacrifice. God wants you to be proud of your own accomplishments without comparing yourself to others. That's what it says right there in verse 5. James chapter 3, verse 16 for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, and this is, what, this is what is produced when we compare ourselves to others. We get jealous and we have selfish ambition. He says there's going to be disorder in every vile practice. Proverbs 14 says a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy is where we end up. When we just look around and compare ourselves with everybody else. Listen, God created you to be you. He made you, He formed you, He shaped you just as He wanted you to be. And He wants you to offer yourself to Him. You see, these people that you're comparing yourself to, you don't really know them. If you're comparing yourself to me, you, you probably don't know the stuff in my life that I struggle with. Stop comparing yourself to me. Compare yourself to Him, and that will guide you and guard you. 
How easy is it for a woman to look at a beautiful woman and go, oh, man, if I could just look like her, if I could have her face, if I could have her hair, if I could have her hips or her legs, whatever it is that you like about her, but you have no idea what her life is about. And here's what I want you to hear today also. You have no idea why God made her look that way and what she is responsible to do with her life, with her beauty. You have no idea what she's responsible to do. And the question then is, would you be willing to do what she's responsible to do with her beauty? Guys, you see a guy driving down the, the tollway with a Lamborghini. You think, oh, man, look at that. That's beautiful. It's shiny. Oh, wow, that's awesome. And we start envying the guy, right? We have no idea that the guy is probably contemplating hitting some kind of a concrete wall down the road. We have no idea what's going on in his life. But we compare ourselves to him. And it's time to stop. You know, psychologists will tell you that you should compare yourself with you. And I get what they're saying. Okay, am I better today than I was yesterday? Am I a better person today than I was yesterday? I get that. But that's not what the scripture says. Until you begin to look at your life and compare yourself with Christ, you're going to be shooting for the wrong ideal. And the question is, am I closer to God today than I was yesterday? Jesus said, the ideal is himself. And your ideal, you, Jesus, is the ideal you. He's the only ideal you. He brings sanity to you. He brings purpose to your life. He brings meaning to your life. Jesus brings that to your life. He makes your life meaningful. Does this mean that we all should emulate him by going out and getting white robes and and? Sandals, God forbid. No. Does this mean we have to go sell everything that we've got and give everything away and live in poverty just to try to emulate Jesus? Is that what he's talking about? No, we should be willing to do that, but no, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's asking for. What is he asking for? More than anything, Jesus wants us to live a life that reflects the values that he has. He wants us to live a life that reflects his values. This is why the church is here. The church is here so that we can learn what Jesus likes and doesn't like, and we can accommodate for that relationship in his life and, and have that relationship with him. James David, would you come? So compare your life with his. How would he finish out your life if Jesus came to you today? This is a huge question. If Jesus came to you today and said, all right, thanks for doing what you've done so far, but I'm going to take over from here. I'm going to go ahead and send your soul onto heaven, and I'm going to take your body. I'm going to take your talents. I'm going to take your brain. I'm going to take everything about you, and I'm going to finish your life. I'm going to take your family. I'm going to take your friends. I'm going to finish your life for you. This is what I'm talking about. Comparing myself with Christ. What would he do with the rest of your life? What would he do with it? What would Jesus do with your health? I've got health issues. What would he do with that? Use your imagination. What would he do with that? What would Jesus do with your money? 
What would he do with that? What would Jesus do with your handicap? What is it that slows you down in this life? What would he do with that? Compare yourself with Christ. What would he do with your life? If he came and he, he came and took over your life, took over your body, what would he do with that? What would he do with your church? What would he do with your friends? What would he say to them? Would he keep your friends? <laughs> what would he do with them? What would Jesus do with your neighbors? What would he say to them? Compare yourself with him. What would Jesus come and, and do with your neighbors? What about your knowledge? What books would he read? What information would he want to put into you? What would he do with what you already know? Some of what we know, he'd probably vet and say, well, that's not true. This is true. Some of what we believe needs to be fixed. Some of the stuff we've heard, some of the stuff we've believed, we probably need to go back and we need to fix some of it and find the truth. What would Jesus do with your pain? What would he do with your pain? The things that have hurt you throughout your life, what would he do with it? John, don't even go there. You don't know what happened to me when I was a kid. You don't know what happened to me when I was a teenager, whatever. The question is, what would Jesus do with that? If he took over your brain, he's got all your memories, he's got all your thought processes, he's got everything there. What would he do with that pain? What would he do with those unforgettable moments? They get triggered by different smells or the sound of music. What would Jesus do with those memories? What would he do with your temptations? Things that you're tempted to do. What would he do with those? Come on, these, these are great questions. And if Jesus could live that way, if he came and took over, yeah, but that's God. John, you're hype. No, I'm not speaking hypothetically. If he came and took over your body, how would he live out the rest of your life? What would he do with those things? And here's the reality. When you accept Christ into your life, you become God's child. You become his child. And let me ask you a question. Jesus being God's child, what was he doing on the cross? Was he angry at God? Was he shaking his fist at God? Why are you putting me through this? Why are you allowing me to go through this? And when Jesus made it to heaven, did he walk up to the Father's throne and be like, what was that? Why'd you do that? No. He was part of the plan and part of the purpose. And God wants you to see that in all of the struggles and problems and difficulties and successes and victories in your life. This is what God wants in your life. It's meaning. And there's meaning to everything that you go through. You're his child. And so 
The writer of Hebrews, we've been talking about Hebrews quite a bit in this series, and we're back in chapter 12 here, and he says, all right, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on everybody else. That's not what he says. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He says, all right, we're not going to live with this kind of standard. The ideal is Christ. Let's go after it. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it say? For the joy set before him. In other words, when he was on the cross, he wasn't angry with God. He wasn't frustrated that he was going through all of these trials and problems and persecution. He, was, he knew that there was going to be joy on the backside of this. And he was patient and understanding. I've got to go through this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What's he saying? Compare yourself with Jesus. Well, God, you don't understand. I've really got this, this desire, these temptations, these struggles, and, and I'm struggling against sin. And what is he saying? He, he, he's saying you, you've yet to shed your blood to, st- to stop sinning. You've yet to even try that. And you've completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father, addresses his sons. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. So we compare our lives with Christ. What would Jesus do with the rest of your life? What would he do? Where would he go to church? At church, what would he do? What would he do with your home? What would he do with your friends and family? What would he do? And that's where we begin today. In our relationship with him is saying, okay, God, I turn my heart over to you, my life over to you, and I invite you into my life. And I want to do with the rest of my life what you want. God's ideal. When you do that, meaning, purpose, you fill your life and you have peace. Through every trouble, every trial, every difficulty, you have peace. And listen, I'm not talking from the mountaintop today. Every one of these areas I have to look at in my own life and say, okay, God, how can I be better? And I'm not doing it because some other human is doing this. I'm doing it because of you, Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted a relationship with Christ. I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to have you do anything. This is a very intimate moment between you and God. I don't want you to be worried about 
anything or anybody else. I want you to be focused on talking to him. God, I invite you into my life. I thank you for your forgiveness for my sin. And I ask you to come into my life. I want to learn who you are, what you like and what you don't like, and I want to accommodate for you in a relationship. I want you to feel comfortable living in me. And so I invite you to come into my life. I want to have that relationship with you. God, I don't know what to do with some of the things that John talked about today. I don't know how to fix or change. But today I start in faith. And I invite you to come in and begin to show me. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray over each and every one that's here today. God, we are in a world of trouble, as we've talked about earlier today. And we need your help. Each of us to know, to be strong, and to know that you're in charge. And although the world has one way, that God, you have another and that we could be a part of that. And so I pray that, Father, we'd begin to look to Christ to see the answers for our lives, how we can be better, do better, grow stronger, that the world would be able to see Christ in us. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today, right where you're at, and you, you accepted Christ into your life, I don't want you to stand, like I said, I just want you to look up at me until my eyes catch yours so that you can say, John, today I gave my heart to Christ. It's a new day, a new beginning for me. If that's you right where you're seated, just look up at me until my eyes catch yours. Okay? All right? All right? All right? Anybody on this side?